Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. I was the CIA director. We lied, we cheated, we stole. This was a line from a speech from former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo from 2019. He later claimed he was just joking, but obviously not everyone listening takes it that way. Four years later, in an expose by U.S. investigative journalist Seymour Hersh, the agency was said to have carried out a covert operation under the director of President Biden to blow up the Nord Stream gas pipelines. What exactly is the role of the CIA in the U.S. political system? Whom does it serve, the Constitution or the Crown? And as this year marks the 20th anniversary of U.S invasion of Iraq, has the lesson been learned on not to justify war with false intelligence? Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, Li Xin, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I had the opportunity to speak to Ray McGovern, who served as an analyst with the CIA for 27 years. I started by asking him how the CIA misinterpreted information to serve the political needs of the White House. A dovetail is a very appropriate word. Even more damning is the word justify. Justifying a war of aggression? My God. If you falsify intelligence to justify a war of aggression, that's as bad as it gets in my profession. And that's what happened. You don't have to believe McGovern. The Senate did a five-year study and introducing the results a bipartisan result, Senator Rockefeller, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee said, what evidence was adduced to justify this war was untrue, unsubstantiated, contradicted, or even non-existent. His words. Now, what does non-existent intelligence look like? Well, use your own imagination, but that was a very sorry chapter in the history of my experience in intelligence, and we formed a group called Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. And we used that last word advisedly because there was not a lot of sanity in Washington 20 years ago, and there's not a lot of sanity among upper leaders in Washington now. What kind of possible role do you think the CIA may have played in this particular sabotage? People have to understand that the the CIA is not a rogue element. The CIA does what the president tells it to do. There's an instinctive salute if the president says do something. Now, does the president have legal authority to do that? Unfortunately, the National Security Act of 1947 has been interpreted that way. There's a phrase in there that said, the director of central intelligence shall perform such other functions and duties as the president shall from time to time direct. Even based on bogus or non-existent intelligence? Well, it's to the operators, uh, I've drawn a distinction between the analysts, the division of CIA where I worked, and the, the operators. Now, on an operation like this, the analysts would be kept just as much in the dark as the rest of the world, okay? They would have no way to say, this doesn't make any sense. They're going to find out about this. This is going to be awful. Now, Cy Hirsch says there were, the, there were some that said that, 
but that doesn't matter. If the president tells the bureaucrat who heads the CIA, in this case, a former State Department person, Bill Burns, if he says, do it, as Cy Hirsch says, um, Burns turned to his people and said, the president says, do it, do it. Even though there was great reluctance on the part of these people to carry out this operation. Can we do it? Yes, we can do it. Okay. Now, when it was first learned that it was possible to do it, despite how secret everybody wanted to make it, Joe Biden got up on the 7th of February and said, yeah, we can do it. And mark my words, uh, it, it will not happen. The Nord Stream 2 will not be uh, will not be followed. So, you know, it's really a sad commentary on what CIA operators will do because they they do everything the president says. And this was true also in falsifying the information before the Iraq war. And to my great disappointment, some of my colleagues on the analysis side participated in that charade, in that deception. What is the consequence of uh, such an abuse of power, let's say, and using intelligence that cannot be disclosed with the, to the public to launch wars and to carry out very dangerous uh, acts, sabotage such as this one? What do you think is the consequence for the United States and for the world if Hirsch's revelations uh, really prove to be true? Well, whether or not uh, they're accepted uh, for publication in the mainstream media, the complications are serious. Uh, suffice it to say that for six years now plus, Americans have been brainwashed on the notion that Mr. Putin in Russia is evil incarnate, that he's a new Hitler, uh, that he's going to take over the rest of Europe, if not the world. It's almost as though the Soviet Union didn't implode. Now, six years of brainwashing like that will allow the people in charge to manipulate, to, to, to tell the American citizens, look, uh, we have to face Mr. Putin down in Ukraine or else he'll take over the rest of Europe. Crazy. There's no indication he's going to take over the rest of Europe. He doesn't even want to take over Ukraine. He just wants security on his border. Okay. So what does that mean? That means that the American people will be totally unprepared for what's going to happen in the next couple of months. And what's going to happen are the Russian forces are going to move west. They're going to reach the Dnieper River, mark my words, and then it will be time to deal. Uh, do you want to go? Do you want us to go? farther west of the Dnieper, or will you deal now? Will you, will you accept the Dnieper as sort of like a, a demilitarized zone of some kind, withdraw your long-range artillery and keep our people safe? Or uh, will these, uh, these people who feel themselves privileged and exceptional, will they test the waters to the point of even considering the use of tactical nuclear weapons? Yeah, I wish I could say that would be ridiculous, but what this crew, with the people advising Biden, have already countenanced and, and implemented is ridiculous. I remember exactly two years ago, Sullivan and Blinken, the National Security Advisor and the Secretary of State, met with your highest representatives. What was it? Is it Anchorage, Alaska? And <laughs> adopting the old British imperial tone. They told 
they, they told you representatives about the rules-based international order and that they better adhere to them because that's what we say. These young fellows, you know, what they know about five millennia of Chinese, or maybe just the last couple of centuries, they do nothing. So it's, it's a very pervasive, it's a very risky attitude of, of being exceptional, having gone to the best schools. You know, I, I remember Vietnam very well. I was there when it was going on, okay? Not in Vietnam, but I was watching it very, very closely. And who was it that got us into that mess, killing 3 million Vietnamese, 58,000 Americans? It was people from the same well-educated, well-dressed, and well-prepared schools, uh, Harvard, Yale, and the rest of them. They were called, in, in one famous book, the best and the brightest, there should be a, a real question mark around best and a real question mark about brightest because they think they're the best and the brightest, but they've gotten the United States in a peck of trouble. The main problem is that the American people don't know that. They tend to blame it on Russia or China, depending awesome. on which day of the week it is. Now they're hyping that the a Chinese lab could be the possible origin of COVID. And they were talking about China possibly or about to supply lethal weapons to Russia, always citing anonymous sources or intelligence that cannot be shared or data. And they make the, they make the assertion before they can be proved, even if they're proven wrong. That's for later. Um, where do you think <laughs> all, yeah. Where do you think all of this is leading to? Is the media telling the official line to go somewhere? Is there an end game or a particular yeah, situation they want, to, they want to create? Yes, the major media has been as corrupt as I've ever seen it, even worse. General Eisenhower, who was our president 60 plus years ago, when he left, he said, you know, the military industrial complex, the people profiteering on war, they pose a real danger to our democracy, okay? And the only antidote to their accretion of power is a well-informed citizenry. It turns out he was exactly right. We don't have a well-informed citizenry now. It's really hard for people to believe that the United States would blow up a pipeline as an act of war, but I believe they did. It's hard for them to believe that they would manufacture evidence 20 years ago to justify, in quotes, a war of aggression. It's hard for them to believe that torture would be part of that. You know, a war of aggression was spelled out at Nuremberg. It was spelled out as the supreme international crime, differing from other war crimes only insofar as it contains the accumulated evil of the whole. Accumulated evil, think torture. Think all the other things that went on, not only in Iraq, but in Afghanistan, Libya, Syria. So the American people are blissfully unaware of this. And that's, that's the job that falls to people like me who have a degree of credibility given our service and give us how closely we have watched Russia in my case. Uh, but we don't get into the major media. 
Well, let's talk about Iraq because you mentioned a couple of times and it's the 20th anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq approaching. The U.S. also had the big um, banner of uh, bringing freedom and democracy to Iraq and to the Middle East. Do you buy all of that? Do you think that they had a genuine interest to spreading democratic ideas to that country? Do you think 20 years later they have succeeded if they really tried? It was a bogus claim. Number one, it makes no sense to try to export democracy. I mean, people have their own ways of governing. Uh, people have their own ways of structuring their economy. So not, not only was it uh, stupid from the start, but it was synthetic. It was manufactured. We needed some reason to have gone into Iraq after it was discovered that, oh my God, there were no weapons of mass destruction. Oh my God, there were no ties between Saddam Hussein and Al-Qaeda. So why do we do this? Oh, we wanted to bring democracy to Iraq. Give me a break. Um, I think many Americans are even uh, clever enough or smart enough to realize that that was bogus. It's more than bogus though, you know, I cite uh, the halcyon days of the U.S. relationship with Mr. Putin, and that was 2013, when Barack Obama's advisors all told him he had to open, openly attack Syria because of some false flag attack. Obama, to his credit, resisted that, and he bragged about having resisted the Washington playbook at that point. But who put who put who pulled his chestnuts out of the fire? It was Vladimir Putin who persuaded the, the Syrians to destroy all their chemical weapons uh, under UN supervision on a ship specifically outfitted for such destruction. Now, the reason I mention that is because as all this was going on, and the date was September twelfth, New York Times, Vladimir Putin has an op-ed published. And what does he say? He says, I really am gratified by the increased trust, trust, mind you, between not only the United States and Russia, but also President Obama and me. The only problem I have, he says this in the last paragraph, is the notion that some nations are exceptional. Uh, President Obama, says Putin, said this just yesterday in a major speech. I don't think any country is exceptional. There are people closer to democracy, farther away from people developing. But as God looks down on all nations, he sees them all as equal. Now, that paragraph was penned by Vladimir Putin himself. I was told that at the time, and corroboration came about three years later when he was interviewed. Um, on a totally unrelated subject. And he was asked this question and he repeated that last paragraph of the op-ed virtually verbatim. I think Putin believes that. I think most people believe that. The problem is that the people running our foreign policy do not believe that. They are convinced that we are exceptional and they are about to, to run into a rude awakening and they'll be, be making decisions that everyone must fear. And so if I were in Mr. Xi's or Mr. Putin's shoes, 
I would be very, very alarmed. I would very be very much on edge as to what these people might do. Last thing I'll say on, on that is that Mr. Putin was asked a question. It was October 27 at Valdai, the discussion club. He was asked about why the Americans are, uh, are being obnoxious or taking on China at the same time as they're giving all kinds of weapons and, 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 meet, and facing down Russia in Ukraine. And what Mr. Putin said was this, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. There's no logic to it. I thought for a while that there was some subtle reasoning behind that, but I no longer think so. Uh, what I think is they're just crazy. The only thing that can account for this is overweening pride and a feeling of impunity. Now, if Mr. Putin and his friend, Mr. Xi, uh, calculate that that's what's happening in the policy with the policymakers in Washington, namely that they're crazy, and there's evidence for that, I would suggest, then what are they to do when faced with military challenges, such as we've seen in Ukraine, and such as we've seen on the island of Taiwan, which is being made into a, a virtual arsenal or uh, armor depot for for American weaponry. What are they to think? What do they think? What are they to do? That's what bothers me. My job has always been to put myself in the shoes of the Kremlin leaders. If I were in Putin's leader, I would be very much on alert, very much on edge, particularly as his forces start winning in Ukraine. There must be a lot of pressure on people like you, Professor Sachs and Mr. Hirsch. Aren't there? I mean, it's not easy. Well, we've, we've lost a lot of friends, uh, <laughs> uh, former colleagues. And even it's quite strange, Jean. Uh, people, people hate Donald Trump so much that they can't wrap their minds around the fact that he was correct in saying that blackening the Russians makes no good sense. And saying that put him into a, uh, a limbo in the media where anyone who says you can deal with the Russians, oh, the Russians are bad Russians. Well, the Russians aren't bad. Nobody's really bad. Human beings are basically good in my view. What you do is you talk to them, okay? And that's scary because we're not talking to them. Lavrov, Blinken, and that's... Uh, that's a fool's errand for them to talk. When the <laughs> balloon literally went up, <laughs> there was scant communication between, well, the story is that when our defense secretary called his opposite number in China, uh, he couldn't get through. Well, uh, I can understand that the Chinese did not consider this to be a military issue. And said, I said, wrong, wrong person to call. Have Blinken call. Have somebody else call. But, but the, the scary thing is that the communication is really absent. Yeah. And we have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, for God's sake, uh, General Milley. What did he do when he was so afraid that President Trump might hit out after China? He called up. 
Chinese Chinese defense minister and said, no, no, don't don't worry. Uh, I'm here. Uh, don't worry. Nothing's going to get out of hand. Huh? You don't really do that. The point is, Millie, where's the call this time? Did Millie call this time? Well, Millie didn't. Austin tried and didn't get through. So the lack of communication is something unique. Trust has disappeared, and with good reason. Uh, lots of lies have been told. And uh, I'm afraid that Mr. Putin has come to the realization that uh, it's a fool's errand to keep trying to call these people partners, try to get along with people in the West where Russia's natural instincts really lie or have, have lain. And he's just turned East and he has his best friend described as best friend by Xi Jinping. And it's, it's not a matter just of friendship. It's a matter of coincidence in aim and the feeling of both being under attack by the same hegemon. Last thing I'll say on that is that, you know, I was around when there was a triangular relationship, Russia, China, and the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and there was an equal, equal sort of, uh, an equilateral triangle, if you will. Now it's isosceles. <laughs> You've got China and Russia and the U.S. on the short end of the stick, mind you. I mean, really. Uh, and so one has to listen to what Putin said. This is crazy. Do you find the Americans being kind of hysterical now? There's a, a great sense of insecurity when it comes to China, because, you know, everything that's come out of China, they jump is a threat to their national security, even a balloon. <laughs> they use the missile and fighter jets to get down that. Yeah, well, it's, uh, as I say, if it's a matter of which day of the week it is, whether Chinese, China is subjected to that kind of treatment or Russia, uh, they're both uh, demonized and with very little persuasive evidence. You know, for me personally, I like to, to take the attitude of, uh, well, can't we just get along? I think that's the American way of saying, hey, how about a win-win? situation. Why does one always have to win, but the other lose? So I see common sense in the Chinese approach and a lack of common sense. Something is mentally awry with the United States approach, and it comes out of this feeling of exceptionalism. I think that Mr. Putin was quite right in taking that, that opportunity to write that down. And I'm told that he did write that down personally. <laughs> Uh, the, the last paragraph of that op-ed, yeah. New York Times, September 12th, 2013. Now, just as a codicil there, what happened? Well, it just took six months for the Victoria Nolans of this world to mount the key in Kiev, and everything went down since then. So there are lots of people that, that thrive on punishing Russia. The only problem is that Russia's economy and Russia's friends now, China, India, and others, uh, really are more, more working together than ever before. And the United States does not seem to fear the notion of a two-front war. Now, this is serious. You know, I have been saying for two years now, it's just a guess because I am not an expert on China. But I think 
that if there's an armed dust-up in Ukraine involving the U.S. and, and Russian forces, that it's altogether likely that Putin's Chinese strategic friends will do some things in the South China or East China Sea or in the Taiwan Strait to make to make it clear to our policymakers that China and Russia do have a relationship with no end, that it exceeds a military relationship. That will have disastrous consequences for China because the whole West, led by the US, that will fall right into the trap that they have kind kind of spread out, you know, for China. Basically, they're saying, come, you know, take military um, actions and we will sanction you. Um, They still control, you know, a lot of resources in this world and they can make life like hell for China if China ever takes that step. Well, I, I agree. And that's why I say this is in extremis. In other words, China also knows that they are next in line, okay? If I don't believe this is going to happen, but let's say Putin is pushed out of Ukraine. Let's say the U.S. sets up another puppet government there and the U.S. really starts to prevail in this part of the world. Uh, Putin is not. Well, China will be. It's in our strategic documents. The the Pentagon says China is the real enemy uh, once we get rid of uh, this uh, little pest in, in Russia. So. The Chinese leaders don't have to be paranoid. <laughs> they, they can read it in the document. Yeah, it's hard to believe. But as Mr. Putin has said, a lot of this is crazy. And it comes from a feeling of superiority, of being exceptional, and having impunity. That was once the case. We used to be the sole hegemon. Now, as many people say, it's a multipolar world. I prefer bipolar, not just in the psychiatric sense, okay? It's bipolar because it's the lily white West against the rest of the world, 80% of whom are people of color. There's a racial aspect to all this, and it speaks danger, extreme danger for the world. Let's hope that the leaders of China, Russia, And let's hope even the leaders in Washington will step back from the precipice and say, look, maybe the Chinese are right. Maybe maybe we can do a a win-win. That's the only outcome that will prevent the worst, in my view. Ray McGovern, former CIA analyst for 27 years. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. <laughs>